Welcome everyone to episode number 21 of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thank you for joining myself, Lawrence, DY and DC. And we've got a exciting episode in store for today. Um, today is actually Friday the 7th, which is one day before ICN Nationals, um, which we can't wait for. So yeah, we're going to I think we're all going to be keeping a keen eye on social media or um, many of us will be there in person tomorrow. And I think something, I don't know if you guys are all aware of this, but they're actually handing out more pro cards this, uh, this nationals because there's the Oceania divisions and also the, uh, the, the standard Australian titles as well. I didn't uh, notice that. Do you know with the Oceania div- divisions, are they giving cards out for every Oceania or is it only the open categories on the first day? I believe it's, only the open categories, but that's, yeah. I don't know for certain, but that would make the most sense to me. Yeah. Cause on the second day, they've got like some Oceana, like 30 pluses divs and I've never seen them hand out, but I didn't know since it was like an international division that they might. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Right. I didn't actually know that. I thought the pro cards would just be awarded to the class winners of the mm. opens category, but yeah. Yeah. Look at yeah. Cool. I All think right. the, the reason being is because the international folks can't compete in the in the standard open lineups, I think. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. I wonder how much that like international turnout will be. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, de- I definitely know a few people from New Zealand are coming. I'm not sure yeah, about okay. too many other countries. Because mm. I think I, I well, like I did a Worlds in 2018, and I think there was a like there was a team from Italy, a lot of people from like South Korea. So I mean, people do make the trek. Mm. I guess it'll being oceana it's probably just like asia and and new zealand i dare say Mm. Mm, absolutely hey speaking of international what about uh wnbf australia that's that that made my day today honestly that's so good to hear i'm pumped sorry jack i probably just segued in front in front of you (laughs) that's fine you were already you were just like on the edge of your seat ready to announce it (laughs) yeah it was next on the cards but i'm certainly (laughs) i'm certainly keen for it like I'm interested to see how they how they do it, like whether it'll be one show um, for the whole of Australia or whether they'll try and do a couple in different cities. I think it'll be a good turnout, to be honest. Like, I honestly think that a lot of people have been waiting for this. And I think that, like, honest, like, it'd be tough for any federation to get a startup in Australia where there has been, you know, probably one dominant federation for quite a long time now. But I think a lot of people have been waiting for there to be like a, a stronger foothold for WMBF to have that pathway to like the world. So mm. I think it's going to do pretty well. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to keep a lot of the divisions like they do with the, uh, the WMBF as well. I remember when AWMBS used to be run, which was the WNBF for Australia previously for the females, they used to have so many extra divisions that actually weren't even awarded internationally. Like you used to have fitness. There was no fitness over in the world's, they used to have standard bikini. There was no standard bikini over in the world. So it was like international bikini. So I wonder if they're going to rein in the divisions compared to like, let's say what ICN and the AWMBS had previously to then fit the world's criteria and mm. like not shy towards like the wellness, the standard bikini look, you know, multiple different figure divisions as well. Mm, Cause with the AWMBS, couldn't you win your pro card as like a fitness, fitness athletes a sports athlete for example but then obviously in inter- internationally at worlds there was only the bikini division so you would get basically women that were fitness look 
comparing, you know, against people who were the bikini international look versus, so it was kind of this like cross, cross, uh, cross category all going within the worlds, which would obviously change the, the look that was portrayed up on that mm. stage. Yeah. So it used to be, I believe it used to be, they, we used to have one, which was international bikini bikini and then we also used to have fitness and all three of those divisions would equal into one pro card which was the international bikini look which is what they want at the WMBF. so you're pretty much got three different types of physiques all leading into one pro card which would then go to worlds which makes it very hard for us to be competitive when we're sitting there with girls that like you know our fitness which is technically like what montana so it's like you got one girl that's trying to compete that looks like montana and then you got a bikini girl that looks completely different to montana mm. well like lisa is the perfect example because she is all in all in australia like a fitness competitor so like in 2018 she kind of won it all here for fitness went over to WMBF and then did extremely well in the bikini so it just kind of like, yes, it's all going to come down to like more divisions. You can get more people at the show, but it just makes more sense from like a continuity perspective to just like, if you're using it as a pathway to get people to worlds, just judge them in the way that they're going to be expected to be judged when they're actually there. Mm. Otherwise just kind of, you know, like you said, DY, like people are going over and they're kind of in the wrong division. Yeah. Well, like someone will win a pro lineup in Australia for that, division then they'll go to the worlds and then they won't even place or even be looked in the top 10 and it's just because they well they are in the criteria but well they got the card for the criteria but they're not anywhere near it so it was a little bit tough mm, i guess time will tell right yeah lawrence you'll have the privilege of being the first of us to to um experience it mm, i hope so mate I hope podcast exclusive yeah, well, I, I was thinking like maybe we can even do a, a live from New York exclusive me on the ground, just like sure. three days out. I can barely string words together <laughs> and I'll, I'll try to get on the pod for the boys. So yeah, mate, I, I'm really, really excited. Like when I saw that today, I was, I was pumped. I was really sort of thinking, you know, that will, you know, add a show to my plans for 2023, but I'm more than happy to do that if it means that I can, you know, cement a, a spot to get on a plane and, and go do the damn thing overseas. So it'd be cool. Mm. Yeah. Because something else that's um, interesting is the local WNBF shows over in the U S some of them do offer pro cards. So does that mean this Australia show will offer pro cards? That's an mm. interesting thought. I think WNBF are pretty big on the fact that they only offer the card based on numbers. Cause I was listening to mm, even yes. Eric Helms talk with Steve Hall this week and he was talking about his last season and how like he won a couple shows in the WMBF affiliate, but there weren't enough people in the, like the open class or the overall for it to be a pro qualifier. So I think they're pretty strict on that sort of stuff, which I look, I think that's great because mm. it, you know, rising tides lifts all ships. It's, it's better for the total standard of the sport um, because at the end of the day, like a pro card, it only really means something if you've, you know, beaten a certain caliber of person to get it at the end of the day. Um, so I think it's a good thing. So I assume that they would, you know, have that across all of their countries. Do you think you'll do uh, IMBA Worlds if it's on the same side or just WMBF? I'd like to do IMBA Worlds eventually. Like, the, the, is it the Natty Olympia in Vegas mm. you're talking about? Yeah, I'd love to do that one day. That's definitely on the calendar of a show that I'll definitely do before I hung up the trunks. But in terms of next year, like the WMBF will be the goal for sure. Mm. Cool. 
Well, I think because I something I wanted to raise up is uh, DC's photo that he posted last week, or maybe it was this week about going classic because you didn't, we talked about that off air last week on the podcast, but we didn't actually talk about it on air. So um, mm. I think that was, I think, cool for a lot of people to see that. I mean, not surprising that you're doing classic because you're a pro bodybuilder now, but um, do you want to elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah, I don't really feel like this is news, though, <laughs> to be I honest. Mean, but I guess I guess my me. close circle of friends already, you know, know that that I'll I'll, I'll likely be doing classic. And yes, I yeah, I mean, I've always had an interest in classical style posing, and I mean, I would almost argue that that's how I got into bodybuilding by seeing pictures of Arnie and and all that sort of stuff, right? Like like a lot of individuals. Um, so yes, I think I'll be doing classic the next time I, I jump on stage. I think it'll also just give me an opportunity to, to, to have more time on stage as well, because obviously as a pro, you're quite limited as to how many shows you could do. And I don't really like the idea of just having one, one show that I can try and peak for, because I think that as much as you, you try and strive for top conditioning at your first show, I think there's always something that you can improve upon or learn from peaking for the next. So I'd like to have an opportunity to compete, you know, multiple times within a season. Mm. So I think classical will give, will give me a great opportunity to express myself a little bit differently to, to men's bodybuilding. And it's also just a different challenge as well, different posing uh, mm. standards as well. So I just think that'll be uh, a lot of fun. So, yeah. DC cool. has pretty much got his hands in Jack's pie <laughs> and he's eating it. He said that classic title is now mine. That's what I'm hearing on air anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we're competing in twenty four, right? Where season B? That's... I thought it was twenty six. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm um, I'm interested to see because like I know in in Queensland for classic, they I think they do seem to favour, in my opinion, um, a bit more of like a athletic classic look as opposed to like a bodybuilder classic look. But I guess that the lines are blurred anyway for naturals. But um, that's even like when I won the overall title, like I. I wasn't developed enough then to be a bodybuilding classic physique. I think I was more athletic in my opinion. Mm, yeah, for sure. I, I definitely think there's genetic proclivities towards, towards classic. Like if you have sort of longer, longer legs and shorter torso, I think often that can give a nice sort of taper to your, to your poses, uh, especially having that single leg, you know, uh, more of your weight bearing on, on one leg versus the other. Um, I think there's, there's definitely genetic proclivities towards being good at classic or not. Like it's not just simply the posing itself, but um, yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the judges can only, can only judge what's in front of them. So, mm. you know, if someone is slightly outside of the criteria, but they're the best, best classical poser and they're the best physique on the day, then they might go for a more athletic look in comparison to, you know, a quote unquote sort of bodybuilding look. Mm. But it's, um, sure. Yeah. Well, we'll see tomorrow who who wins the classic pro card. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Because there's a good mix of competitors there for sure. But uh, let's um get into some questions. So we'll start off with a, I guess, a more controversial one. Only fitting. This one says: Should people who have taken PEDs be able to compete again naturally? Uh, D uh, Y, I'll throw this over to you. I'm not a hundred percent the rule, but don't you need to be clean for I think five years? To then with be ICN. allowed, yeah. yeah, with ICN, where it's, I guess, WMBF. I don't think you can take them at all. Seven you years, to, I think. 
seven years. Yeah. I think WNBF is seven and I think ICN is five, I believe. Yeah. Something, something along those lines. Personally, I don't think you should be able to like, if you train hard and you keep decent nutrition for like that five years, you're still going to have a damn big advantage over a natural competitor. And it's like, you know, you might even be on TRT for a bunch of that till you get like your normal test levels back up to a normal level. So you a hundred percent have an advantage and that's like guaranteed. So I think as soon as you have that advantage over a natural competitor, that's just, you're pretty much out of the picture. Yeah. It's hard because I guess there's all like, there's levels to it. It's like, okay, is it a guy who, you know, started running stuff when he was 18, did that for six years, then waits still his mid thirties to compete. Or is it just like a kid who, you know, maybe was a Psalm goblin for a few years through high school. And then he's like, Oh wait, like I didn't actually know about natural bodybuilding and now I want to compete. So it's tough because I mean, to bring up Eric Helms again, like that's kind of his story is he did like the whole pro hormone era when he was quite young and then he found out about natural bodybuilding and then he had to like wait out a period before he could then compete naturally. So I didn't actually know about that. Yeah. He talks about it a fair bit on a lot of podcasts and he kind of jokes honest about, about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like people like, you know, trolls in the comments will like bring that up and he's like, yeah, lol, like whatever. But mm. yeah, I mean, in that case, it's like, I mean, Eric's got a great physique, but like, if you look at him, it's not like he stands out as a guy who's, you know, you would accuse of being on gear. Um, whereas, you know, if you looked at like, so it's like, what could like Jay Cutler, like come and, and do a natty show, like just come out of retirement. So it's a really difficult one. And I don't really know where you draw that line because it's like, what, like if someone looks poor, then do you allow them in the show? Cause like they're probably not going to do well anyway, but if someone looks really good, they have an advantage. Like, I don't know where you draw that line. It, it, had the, it has to just be like all or nothing type thing. And that's what mm-hmm. I think. I think like the, the line could get very blurred if you just kind of allow anything. I think as, as soon as you pretty much touch it or something along the lines, like it pretty much needs to be cut out, make it fair for all the natural competitors. Because like you said, what happens if you have Jay Cutler in his prime and then he gets off everything and he still trains hard for five years, nails nutrition, he's going to absolutely still keep so much size compared to another natural Olympian. Like it would be, it'd be night and day if you had them stand <laughs> next to each other. And I'm pretty sure a bunch of you probably know some like fake natties, like, you know, in certain feds where they stand next call to natural competitors. No, I'm not going to call them out, <laughs> but I know everyone here will know which one I'm pretty much talking about at like certain world shows or something like that. And they're pretty much like neck to neck. And you can just tell there's a huge difference, even though they might be clean now. Yeah, I'm sort of the person who I just automatically assume if people say they're natty, I, I think they're natty until proven <laughs> otherwise. Um even like you hear about it in in the loop, like people among ICN, they say, oh, this guy's definitely not natty or they say this guy's definitely on stuff um, or on the hush hush. But I, I honestly haven't seen anyone in recent years who I would look at and say he's on something. And maybe that's just a bit um, too trusting of me. I'm not sure. Silly boy, Jack. <laughs> Jack's Meanwhile, here's, here's DY well, just walking around claiming everybody's everybody's on the on the T. Well, yeah. maybe DC is just my reference point. This I know DC is I know DC's natty, so if they're yeah. smaller than DC, they can't be on yeah. gear. It must be possible. <laughs> well, yeah. I feel like there's levels to this in terms of natural bodybuilding, right? Like all you have to do is look at the guys like we've talked about on a, on a off air at the BNBF and ridiculous physiques, right? 
and I think if you weren't in in the in the know of natural bodybuilding, you would automatically assume that those two individuals are taking something. But then you realize there's like the gene pool is fucking deep, <laughs> right? So if you're you know five years into your training and you see someone who's who's bigger than you and it's like, oh man, they've got to be on the gear, like you're not the pinnacle of natural bodybuilding. There's guys and that are there's guys and girls that are levels to this, right? So you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I, but I think, I mean, referencing back to your, your, your question there, like from a, from a rules perspective, it's like the five years, seven years, but then also from like a moral and ethical standpoint, that's, that's where that line's blurred. Right. And I think mm. if you've taken, I just think you should not really explore natural bodybuilding respectively, but you know, that, that being said, it's, it's so, it's so gray, gray area, right. Because may have an athlete approach you for coaching and they took something for a year 12 years ago and now they want to explore natural bodybuilding like who are you to say no you can't compete in that in my sport or something like that when they're mm. clearly outside of the the time parameter you know so yeah it's a tough one plus they might not even they might have thought they took something when in fact it was just a vial of extraversion olive oil <laughs> that's why you've been chugging it about it down <laughs> It's just so anabolic. Yeah, yeah, waiting for that batch that actually has something <laughs> in the back. He's waiting. Wait, so I got some ASMR for the boys. Oh, was that a forex gold? Mate, it's a VB. It's an apple cider. You need to do a slurp for the the microphone now. Already. That's it. That's a twoies. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to all. Yeah. Now we can branch into that like ASMR podcast world. I'm sure that would really kick up the listens. Mm, I think, yeah, we got another. Or few. We've just lost like three quarters of the viewers. <laughs> one or the other. Oh, God. So this next question says, would we ever do like a rate your physique segment on the show, which is essentially where someone sends us a photo or maybe like a lifting video and we um, kind of score it, give our thoughts on it, etc. I'm just Lawrence... picturing this as being like the, the roasting, the roasting of X person. <laughs> Rate my physique. Bro, you got tiny calves. <laughs> I think it's going to be like a roast my physique or something. Give it a little bit. But then like we discussed off air, it's like hard for us to like how the listener is going to see what we're actually rating the physique. So we would need to do mm -hmm. something on the Instagram where it's like with the episode, then we would have their photos. So that would need to allow us to use the photos. That way the listeners can tune in as well and maybe throw their input in there. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think it'd be cool. Cool. Something different, you know, could get out of hand. <laughs> yeah. It could get a little, a little bit rough. I mean, I'm, I'm too nice personally to, to say anything mean, but I I think it could work for sure. Like we would put up a photo uh, in that kind of swipe that we do every week for releasing the episode. And then maybe if people are particularly keen on us doing it, they can reach out over DM. And if we get a few people saying that they'd be keen on that, then sure. I think we could give it maybe at least a trial attempt. Yeah. And you just 1099. That's per yeah. person. Yeah. Nothing much. <laughs> I feel like one of us would be like that that one guy off, I think it was UK Idol or whatever it might be, where he's just like, he just roasts absolutely everyone. And then you got like three nice judges. Yeah, exactly. Someone's got to balance it out. Do we specify like the poses as well? Like the rear glute spread? <laughs> <laughs> 
I think we just let it roll. They send us whatever, you know. I just hope that one's in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope not. Fuck. They get extra brownie points for that one, you know, out of out of ten. <laughs> Bonus two points default. <laughs> Wicked separation. <laughs> Oh, We're also accepting podcast guests for about, I think, isn't it $10,000 per, per guest? Mm. Yep. Tierra's about to fork that out. <laughs> the, home, the home, the mortgage is about to take a big hit. Um, cool. Well, yeah, let's see if that, that happens. Um, I'm even happy to host it next rotation for that segment. We'll see what, see if anyone's keen on sending any photos through. But this next question says, whose off season looks the most like their prep so that's a great question just quietly that's a really good mm. question you won't guess who asked this one <laughs> we, uh, i probably won't no it was it was tiara oh okay yeah there we go i feel like it would be you jack i mean don't you think for you boys i reckon it would be probably probably jack i'd say so yeah I'd say Not it. to say that none of us are, are training hard or, or tracking their lifts or tracking their nutrition or anything I'm, like that. I'm but... doing none of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait a sec. We're supposed to do that in the off season? What's going on? I thought the muscle just rolled on in. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it would be pretty hard to go past Jack. Mm. Well, I, 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 to be honest, I put that more so down to my personality than that I think it's obviously necessary. I just, that's how I function best is I stick to, I think it certainly helps that Tiara is essentially the same in, in our routine. So um, I'm, we're not really sacrificing a relationship to do it. We're both quite just very routinely, but um, yeah, I guess that was quite a quick answer. What about you, Lawrence? How, how similar is yours in the off season to your prep? I think like probably anyone who's been competing for a while with time, it gets closer and closer. Like, I think it's probably like in my first off season, it probably looked very different to contest prep. And now it's, you know, quite similar. It's, um, it's probably just a matter of like, I mean, realistically, like any of us, like training is not really going to be any different, like the application to the training. It's, it's like most of our favorite times of the day. So that's never really going to be a question. Um, and it probably does just come down to that little bit more flexibility around mm. nutrition, to be honest. And obviously, you know, doing stuff like going away for a week where you're just kind of tracking or being mindful of protein feedings and, and overall calories, like obviously that's out of the question in a prep. But I would say for the most part, like, you know, on a standard week, um, maybe one, anywhere between one, two, three meals off plan, like it's, like, and that's out of, you know, how many meals are we having across the week? So for the most part, it's going to be pretty similar. I just so think it's... I think that's a cool um, segue question though, is like how many, because I get this question, no, I don't want to be that guy who says I get this question all the time, but... Oh, I get man, it. <laughs> people ask me, they've been wanting so to popular. See, Look at him. People have been asking for my skin routine. I just, yeah. <laughs> how do I grow this big juicy beard in only one week? <laughs> five, five days, actually. It was so um like how how often do you guys have like off plan like I don't think off plan is really the right word because it's I guess more like a a, a non rigidly tracked meal. You I'd said probably have I probably have one or two a week. Yeah, I'm yeah, about, I'm I'm about two two to three. I normally have two like kind of standard like one's a date night and one might be with friends or just after a leg day and then maybe a mm. third one. But other than that, like every other meal is the exact same. 
mm. the zinger box. Yeah, that, that's what I meant by post leg day. Normally, sometimes if I can't be stuffed cooking, I'm just double zinger straight in. <laughs> oh, that's so good. What's the protein content on that? Haven't you seen them? If you get zingers with no mayo, they're like... I've never four- had KFC, mate. Oh, never. God. This man's <laughs> missing out. Nah. Zingers with no mayo. I've got the macros, but I think it's like eight or nine fat for one burger. And then it's like 50 carb and like 30 protein. It's like it's they're actually worthy. quite good for a post-workout meal. But you just can't get the mayo. You get the mayo, the 20 fat a pop. Like, you know, it's so a swap the- up for barbecue sauce. We're still talking the crumbed chicken, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's well, eight fat. Yeah, I don't know how accurate it's it is. Low fat actually... crumbs. Yeah, yeah, of yeah, yeah. Low fat oil as well. That you yeah, <laughs> that's the only thing is I don't know. How are you going to track how much oil sticks every single breast? I think it was around eight to 11 fat per patty. So I was like, yeah, when you think okay. about it, like 35 protein, 15 carbs, and about 10 fat per burger. Like, that's not bad for a fried chicken burger post-workout. Mm. I remember being in. So prep I get it every day. And there was this one time. <laughs> I remember being in prep, and there was this one time where I was like, "Oh, I wonder what like what's the macros in like a double quarter pounder?" And I think it's like it ends up being it's like fifty protein, fifty carb, and like fifty fats. It's like yeah, it's so the most well-rounded like meal. Obviously, excessively high. Fat. Not that there's look, but not that there's anything wrong with with high, higher fats, but um. Yeah, I just remember thinking, this is very bizarre. It's like the one food that has like one of everything, like a one-to-one ratio yeah. of uh, of everything. There's nothing better. Like you type in, I don't know, some like burger from like McDonald's, like in MFP and it's like zero carb, zero fat, zero protein. You're like sick. It's a calorie <laughs> food boys. Looks like I'm having 20 burgers for lunch. Yeah, but, like, but it has like 550 calories. You're like, yeah, mm. yeah. They don't count though. Straight in. Like, just look, I'm just tracking macros. I don't track calories, just about the macros. A little oh, bit man. of a fun fact is uh, in my first ever prep under Joe, I found the macros for the Zinger burgers. And every single week when I used to finish up training with Joe, I think we used to train legs and it was like a high day. I would have two zingers, no mayo after every single leg day, pretty much leading into prep for like, so if it was like a 22 week prep, I think I had it for about 16 on the last <laughs> couple. The macros got a little bit low. So I was like, all right, I'm going to have to cut out the double zingers here. Just but take out the mango. mayo. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Have any of you guys like told any of your clients to have like a, a refeed where you've just asked them to like not track food? No. Uh, it like uh, are we talking in the off prep? season? We're talking in prep. Prep. On, on, uh, prep, no, no. prep. No, I've never really no. had someone who has needed like that degree of, I guess, uh, amount of food to do that. Because I think if someone is going to do it, then either they need to have like a a lot of willpower and self control, or they just end up eating quite a lot of food. Yeah. There has been occasions where, for example, I might might have someone in the off season and let's say they're running like a six to eight wait, six to eight week mini cut and they've got some sort of social gathering, some some sort of social event on a particular day. It makes more sense to perhaps align their refeed day with that social occasion to perhaps just allow them a little bit more flexibility on that particular day whilst not, you know, completely blowing out their nutrition. So they still have to be, be mindful in regards to their food intake and, and options, et cetera, but might just allow for a little bit more leniency on that particular occasion. But I would only employ something like that within an off season. If it was a contest mm-hmm. prep, it's like you're taking your Tupperware container to this event, basically. Yeah, mm. the, 
I, I have actually a client that is going to be starting prep um, for season A and she has an event a hundred percent that like, uh, she told me at the start, she was like, listen, like I, this is my birthday. I'm going to Melbourne, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm like, that's perfect. Like let's plan to have like a free meal. Like we've already taken it into consideration. You start the diet a week early. I obviously told her to be reasonable with it, but I like in the given situation, like if I know about it and it's take and it's planned, well, yeah, but I'm not going to be just sitting there and she goes, Hey, I want KFC tonight. And I'm not going to track a whole bucket. I'm like, mm, ain't going to work like that. She's already let me know. We've taken it into consideration, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cause I mean, I mean, Lawrence, you're probably referencing AJ or maybe partially cause like he's done that with um i think maybe he's i know he's done that with jack richardson but jack's obviously a little bit different since uh he's he's a big lad so mm. but even like oh, i know it's like you can't really compare it to to the enhanced crowd but you hear about some of the the protocols like i think it was it was fuad was talking about when he worked with chad nichols the guy who is currently taking care of rami and he's like would get there like on a sunday like he would just tell him eat as much as you want like no limit just go for it and like you would just have a day of just like complete binging and then like his weight would still come down like you know the average across the week he was still like down two pounds each week and i'm just like mm. i mean how the physiology around that works i don't know and the drugs obviously going to play a role but like man like what does that do to like your relationship with food where you're just like killing yourself on low calories for six days and then literally just like trying to gorge yourself. And like, I mean, Fuad's even said like, he thinks he has some sort of like eating disorder now because of that. And I'm just like, dude, like, th like mm. at the time it was just, yeah, it probably was fun, but it's just caused so much damage. Surely big Rami, you would think would be eating a lot of calories, even in his deficit though. I would mm. have thought. I don't know, man. Like even take a guy like Bumstead, you think about how low his calories get by the mm. end. He's on like 1400 calories by the end. And yeah. he's getting on stage at probably what, like, hundred and something, probably. I would have thought, easily. yeah. So it's like I don't know. It, mm. It's hard to say with those guys because we'll even just DM and ask him. Yeah, yeah. Are we getting him on next week? Aren't we? Lawrence. Well, he has paid us the ten grand, so yeah, he wanted yeah, to yeah. come on. Mm. Uh, see, big C bum got got down on one knee. The big pop the cue. I wonder yeah, if um, we're going to see Big DY practicing a few lunges in the next few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> nice fancy European trip coming up. The amount of times I've been asked that, like over this past like two weeks, ever since it was dropped that we're going on the holiday, is crazy. It's like, what? DY is doing Bulgarians every day. <laughs> That's weird. Anyway, I'm sure it's nothing. Just a coincidence. Yeah. You see that one little viral video that went around where it was like, I think he was post marathon and he was like, he dropped down in the knee on his knee after the actual marathon, or it might've been a triathlon or something. And he literally goes to give her the ring and he literally cramps up as he goes down on the knee and just folds straight over. And he's <laughs> like, he's like pretty much like having a seizure because he's just full cramped up. Kind of everyone's just Bruh. sitting there at the end of the race, just thousands of people looking at him, just crumbling. <laughs> Far out. Mate, that could have happened to Jono with Montana. That man's in, in peak condition, just shredded to the bone. It's a good thing he didn't get a cramp. Yeah. Far out. Show day. Lights would have been hot up there. Just uh, done. So um, let's um, segue on to another one. So this one says, another interesting one to be fair. Do you feel pressured to be stronger than your clients? Or I guess, do you feel to, that you have to perform a certain way in the gym to 
either inspire your clients or be stronger than them. DC, I'll let you kick this one off. Mm, I would say I wouldn't, I don't feel pressure from my clients or athletes at all, really, because, you know, I look at, I look at my athletes programs every week and obviously I'm, I'm keeping up to date with them in terms of how their training are going. And some of them are lifting crazy numbers, strong, stronger than what I am. And like, I encourage that. I, I want these guys to be, you know, as strong as, as they can be. Um, I would say I feel more pressure in association with my own competitive endeavors. So, you know, beating my best the next time I jump on stage, but not in relation to what my competitors move in terms of weights or tonnage or volumes or reps, you know, anything mm -hmm. like that. Uh, if anything, it's just motivating, like to be immersed within that culture where everybody around you is performing, lifting and doing really well. So I think if you are a coach that got upset, if your clients or athletes were stronger than you, then you may not be looking at it from the right perspective or the right lens. Mm. Well, it means you've succeeded as a coach if, you're, if they're stronger than you partially. Yeah, and yeah exactly. Yeah, I'm a little different. Like they get close to me and I just swap the lifts out on them. So they just never ever catch me. And just, oh, you're catching up on the deadlift book, barbell RDL, you know. We train mostly women, so so, uh... yeah. so I've got to swap around the exercises a lot. None. <laughs> hey, not to say that women are not strong. Some women are incredibly strong, like lifting heavy, heavy, heavy weights. But um, yeah. I will go out on a limb and say I reckon Jack doesn't have any clients that are stronger than him. On an RDL depends on what. <laughs> yeah, it depends what lift. I reckon across the board. Well, I mean, DC's stronger than me in a lot of lifts. He's yeah, got clients strong. Not your client, though. Yeah, but I'm just saying he's got clients stronger than him. But I don't. I don't know. In all honesty, like uh, I think some of my clients would be stronger than me at a handful of lifts. Maybe um, I would have to kind of think about it for a weekend over their check-ins and then then get back to the podcast. But the only thing I'd add on, I agree with what DC said. Like the only thing I'd say is I don't feel pressure, but I definitely, I definitely want to inspire especially some of my younger clients um and some people who are new to training i want them to be able to see how i train and be like okay that's like i feel inspired by that i want to try and get as strong as that or i want to be able to train that way um and some the way i train might actually put some people off um it might um but i'm sure it it also helps people as well to be able to be like hey i can i can lift that eventually or um i can train this way if i want to as well Mm, I think you definitely want to be a walking example. Like you mm. want to be able to inspire your athletes, future athletes, and just people in this sport to perform their best. So no, I completely, I completely understand that. Yeah. Like what you boys said, pretty much like you've got to be a good example, especially if you are a coach, like, you know, you want to make sure that you're training hard. If you're telling your clients to train hard and you tick ticking all the boxes, but I don't really feel like the pressure is there. Plus there's multiple boys on my team that are stronger than me. So I already lost that battle a long time ago, but I'm one person that really likes pushing other people and seeing what they're capable of. I don't know. I actually probably get more gratification out of pushing a client and then them getting a huge win. For example, like Ricker or something like that when she won her pro card, then I probably actually got getting the pro card myself. I probably actually was more happy when she got it than I did even though it was like such a long time for me. What about you, Lawrence? You've got clients. Ooh, yeah. Um, mate, the 70-year-old the for low back when I had, my deadlifts got her covered, to be fair. Um, no, I, well, I suppose um, 
I probably can't divulge too much of, of the specific people I've seen, but there might be a couple that have some pretty impressive lifts, like some people that I've had referred to from coaches and stuff in the industry that have got some pretty impressive lifts. But um, that's the, that's the thing. Like I've got a small amount of people that I see who, you know, know me in that world of like bodybuilding and competing and stuff. But like the vast majority of my patients I'm just, you know, the physio from down the road. Like they don't know that about my training history or anything like that. So, I mean, I like the idea of like setting an example and obviously I'll, I'll always do that for people in the way that I speak to them about exercise and the like information I give them, but it's not necessarily that they're, you know, following along and, and watching my training footage on the gram and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, similar to DY, as soon as they start to pick up a bit of momentum, well, DY, that's why I didn't give you all the secrets, mate. Because I knew that deadlift wasn't far off. So I thought, mm, I'm going to hold a little bit back here. Yeah. You know what? Keep them out of the program for another yeah. six months. And then and- we can rebuild it from there. Yeah. And then once I'm progressing, I'll, I'll feed you a little bit more back and just yeah. keep you just ticking along fast enough to be like, oh, okay, it's working, but just not quick enough to catch me. You'll get a photo of it. And then you pull out the protractor and be like, we need more rounding of the lower back. And then eventually yeah. I get that injury. That's going to be associated with that, won't we? Got him. Yeah. Got him. <laughs> You crack the code. And then, like, wow, and then you're making more money. And now you're loving it because now you're making money. And now, yeah, now I'm never going to catch up. <laughs> wow, I've done so much to empower this patient with the means of being able to manage their injury by themselves. Let's completely round that back now. <laughs> One RM Jeff, Jefferson curls starting today. Let's go. Yeah. So, Again, um, listeners, there's nothing wrong with a rounded back. <laughs> Yeah, well, I feel like we have to caveat that every single time now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We need like a little intro or an outro message about like a lower back and like Lawrence can record it like pre yeah. every single episode or something for like one minute. Yeah. If you're experiencing pain, consult your healthcare professional. Just that classic, that classic message. Mm. So this uh, next question says advice we give out most often. And I, I interpret this as like, doesn't have to be the biggest piece of advice, but like what's something we tell our clients that pops up all the time. It can be trivial. It can be important. Um, I'm happy to go first so you guys can think of something. Um, but mine would probably be actually wearing lifting straps. Like the amount of people who uh, restrict themselves because especially in like RDLs or other pulling movements because their grip strength fails. And then I find out they're not using straps. Um is uh is significant so that's probably up there probably in my my top 10 for sure pieces of advice i give out what about you dy i was trying to think about it um real quick because there is so much i feel like i give out the most popular one though probably would be warming up and stretching like i feel like i get a lot of clients especially since a lot of mine are young where they would just negate that aspect of it completely they'll just go straight into a working set or their working sets won't be hard enough so i don't know i'm probably one on like you know making sure you're at least warm before going into your exercise and i noticed that a lot of younger people especially myself when i started would always skip that same with stretching and then for me i just found it like compiled over the years like i might get away with it for a couple of years at the start but then eventually it catches up and now i haven't done any stretching any warming up and then like the little niggles come on so i'm not saying it's a big big one but one that i do get a decent amount is a lot of people either skipping over warm-up sets and then they get like little niggly injuries that we're going to go over that's actually a common one for me too um often i see 
some people will start like they'll i'll give them three sets for example and they'll start set one as like 30 percent lighter than their third one mm -hmm. which kind of says to me that they haven't adequately warmed up like they need to be starting with something closer to their like zero rir yeah yeah 100 like you'll see someone like and they'll have like glute thrust for example for a for a girl's program and then they'll do 10 reps and the next set they record there it's like 120 for 10 and then the one mm -hmm. after it's like 140 like what the hell are these first two doing <laughs> oh, they're, 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 they're the warm-ups mm. but yeah i think um from my end probably like obviously slightly different given my job but i think the thing i'd probably say the most because you know the primary thing that people are complaining about when they come to see me is pain 99 percent of the time so the thing i probably find myself saying the most often is like trying to de-threaten the notion of pain. And I did like a, an Instagram post on this recently and sort of this whole idea of hurt doesn't equal harm because a lot of the time people will experience pain, you know, in whatever body part it may be and immediately they're thinking, okay, whatever that sensation is, I'm doing damage, I'm making this worse, I'm going to stop doing what that is completely. And often that's what feeds into these negative beliefs and these like fearful sort of narratives around particular movements or particular postures. So what I find myself saying a lot to people is like, okay, we know that pain, you know, is a signal to our body. Okay. But we know that it doesn't mean that we're necessarily damage anything. It doesn't mean that any tissue damage is occurring, but it may be telling us that that area is still a little bit sensitive or a little bit irritated. So, you know, whatever we do, whether it be your gym exercises or the physio exercises, let's just work within a pain limit that's tolerable for you. And that's probably, you know, something I'm saying with essentially every patient, like a million times a day. So that'd probably be the main one for me. Mm. Mm, and I'd probably say like, uh, in my case, it's probably more so in alignment with like time is probably the most valuable commodity. So I feel like one of the things that I'm constantly repeating to people is just everything that you do within this sport takes time. So like the time that's necessary to contest prep you know, we, we often want more time than less. It's like, you, you think you're lean, you need to get leaner than that, but you think you've, your, your stage conditioning, you've probably got another couple of kilos to lose until you're actually, you know, absolutely peeled. So it's a timely process and the recovery process post-show is a timely process as well. Uh, for some individuals, it's take, takes longer than others. Uh, you know, building your physique in the off season takes like significant time. So it's just, I feel like it's something that I'm I'm constantly reiterating to, to my clients to to look at this as like the long game because you know as much as we can make great progressions in a year before stepping on stage again, you get even more time under your belt, you're gonna make further improvements. So it's like it's 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 value in in time, but also valuing, I guess, your 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 now and like the process of the journey as well, because the longer you're in this in this game, the more you're going to improve, the more you're going to learn, and nothing like nothing is going to nothing significant is going to come overnight, right? So, I feel like it's common to get athletes who approach us with the mindset of let's say, you know, turning pro in their next season, and they've only really really been lifting for for two years or something along those lines. And I mean, if you're a genetic freak, sure, you know, maybe maybe that may may, may be viable, but for, for the most part, you're probably going to need to to put in five years, six years, seven years, significantly training and building mass and having a productive off season for you before you can really start to, you know, showcase an, an awesome physique on that front. So 
it's just this this takes time and i think you guys can agree that's probably a message that you portray to a lot of your athletes as well mm. yeah especially in the world of social media like results like people think they'll grow all the muscle they need in an eight-week challenge or they just because i mean it, it can be a little bit disheartening if they someone really does want to change their body and put on a lot of muscle it's not going to happen even in a year it's going to happen in in multiple years which that's a long time especially if you're someone who isn't even like that passionate about fitness and just wants to like do it and i this is probably the wrong incentive to do it but just wants to do it to look better and that's maybe why a lot of people do resort to, to drugs because they want that fast-tracked approach. Mm, I guess it's just everything involved with how how our world is is kind of that instant gratification right now. Like you go on social media, you're instantly bombarded with all these incredible physiques, all these amazing lifts. Everybody's incredibly strong. And it just kind of portrays this message of just instant in your face, you know, constantly. Mm. And um you, you never see what, what goes into the background to make that happen. Maybe that person's been training for 15 years to, to achieve that, you know, that, that sort of look. Mm. Uh, so it's, I think it's really important to have goals and aspirations and, and everything like that, but it's also important to be realistic within your timeline. And I think if anything, just make sure that you're, you're solely focused on your journey rather than others. And this is probably getting a little bit off topic in nature, but, but um yeah so i think time is is probably the most valuable commodity oh yeah i totally agree um so these i think we'll finish on two questions they're a little bit open-ended i think that's good though because it encourages some discussion and oh, i can't really throw it over to lawrence he's next on in line but it's a bit more nutrition related i'm interested to hear his um answer regardless so d dy i'll throw this to you like how many carbs is too many carbs before bed God, this is well it's so so many different scenarios like are we talking How about is someone, yeah is someone in prep because like in prep if you're let's say on dc cows there's no way on hell you're saving 60 grams of carbs pretty bad like it just ain't happening um but then it also depends like you're going to train first thing in the morning so if you're going to train first thing in the morning and you're not in prep and you're trying to build then having a damn good amount of carbs the night before to make sure like you know you got enough glycogen um what if what if someone's a very good idea what if someone's like in an off season and they're on like 400 carb and they have like 200 carb pre-bed it depends on the training time, I guess. Like, are they training in the morning? If they're training in the morning, I don't even think it would be a really bad thing. But now if you're training midday, I reckon you could probably scatter a bit more of those carbs around that training session to get a little bit more out of it. Maybe like intra-workout, bit more carbs pre-training and a bigger breakfast. I think that would be a lot better than saving 200 grams of carbs pre-dinner. But hey, I'm sure all of us boys have probably had that one time of accidentally missed a meal or something's come up. And the next thing you know, we're smashing down 300 grams of carbs the night before. And it's not ideal, but like, like what DC mm. said, how long's a piece of string? There's so many, like, I wouldn't go putting probably 60% or more of your carbs pre-bed. Uh, that's probably for sure, mm. unless you're trading very early in the morning. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it also depends on the mindset of the individual because if someone is like hoarding their food towards the end of the day um, with the intention to kind of overindulge within their macros, um, I, I don't think that's a good idea because it's like it's, it kind of screams of uh, or shouts of disordered eating. Um, and but yeah, I think relating it to your, your requirements for fueling is also important. 
Um, but I, I think anyone who intentionally restricts throughout the day just to have more food in the evening, especially if they're in a surplus and they've got plenty of food, I don't think that's ideal in, in my opinion, especially close to bed when we don't want to be having copious amounts of food pre-bed um, because it kind of reduces sleep quality. And I guess you could also look at from a gastrointestinal comfort too. You know, if you're eating so many carbohydrates or just food volume before bed in general, and it's really uncomfortable, mm. <laughs> you may benefit from spacing those calories out a little bit more throughout the day, right? And probably just comes down to perhaps improper planning around, you know, regular eating windows as well. So, um, but yeah, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> I think the main thing is as long as you've got enough carbs around training, if you're on like 400 grams of carbs, like what Jack, you know, gave as like a scenario, making sure that your training sessions are well-fueled and they're not suffering. If they're not suffering, you're probably not in too bad of a spot. Um, but yeah. Hmm. What do you think, Lawrence? Have you ever hoarded your food pretty bad? Your blokes are beating around the bush. The answer is 12. 12. More? No, unit, no units of measurement. There. 12 just, just 12. 12 just 12 yeah up for interpretation 12 is too many any less is fine um no i don't think i've ever sort of saved up the calories so i could eat um more before bed or like i mean do you count like dinner as before bed yeah that's what i was just thinking like would dinner be before some bed? people eat how like late dinner and then go to bed like straight away yeah i mean that's not something i've ever done personally but no, I can understand where you're coming from is that sort of feeding into like a, a bad sort of behavior cycle. Um, look, I'm pretty happy with what all you boys said. I don't really think yeah, I'm, I'm going to add a ton other than, you know, it is 12, but a bit of nuance is good. It, it creates good discussion. Mm. Wait, even in prep, you haven't gone to bed straight after you've eaten dinner? I eat I dinner think... at like seven, like half an hour later. All right, time to get to bed, in bed by dead by eight o'clock so that way yeah, you when, teleport you know, you, to the next ball yeah, of oats. it's like a time machine right yeah. time machine to the next day <laughs> teleport to the next ball of oats that's so good on, on that Pretty topic much, though, yeah. that's something i do want to play with myself is uh potentially going to bed a little bit later because i found that like i would do what you said i would i would go to bed at literally eight and then i would wake up at like um 3 and then i wouldn't be able to get back to sleep um, and I think that was, whereas like I'm, I'm doing some data analysis um, within the confines of uh, client confidentiality, of course, within my clients that I've had on prep. Um, and I'm kind of piecing together some things of, okay, who are the clients who have good sleep? Who are the clients who have bad sleep? Um, and I find that usually the people who have better sleep, um, again, the research is not, e not exactly N equals a thousand. It's more like N equals less than 20, but um, usually people who are like on fixed schedules and they, they're a little bit rushed in the evening, they have to get up early-ish in the morning. So they're usually teetering on that edge of going to bed a little bit too late. Um, and they don't have the luxury of going to bed earlier and earlier. Those people usually actually have the best sleep towards the end. Jack's like got half the clients taking like pre-workout, pre-bed, like, all right, <laughs> let me know how you pull up in the morning. This is like the, the intervention of melatonin. You're like the, the hamster on a wheel. All right. Got, a, got like half the clients on low carb diets, the other on high carb diets. All right, let's see who's gonna who's gonna look the best come show day. Fat loading them. Never tried this myself, but I'll <laughs> I'm gonna experiment it with you, bodybuilder. Let's see how this fat load goes. Shits the bed. Let, oh, let's try and, let's try a daily fast and see how you see how you go. 
just on your like terms of use or terms of agreements, like when they sign on as an athlete, just down the very bottom right in like 0.5 font text, it's just like you will be used as a guinea pig yeah. <laughs> for these experiments. You can send <laughs> any and all research at my discretion. <laughs> Should I, I feel like I, even though it's a joke, I, I do need to disclaim that that doesn't happen. <laughs> yes, yes, we're, we're obviously joking for sure. Someone's but, just um, deleted their Jack's coaching form. They're about to fill in it out while they're on the podcast. Just, Guinea pig? What? <laughs> <laughs> Deletes it. Well, I, I feel like it's one of those things that now that you're in the off season, you can reflect on that and you can make like the the cognitive decision that you wish to not do that the next time you prep. Mm. And I feel like reflecting on the first prep I did, noticing that my sleep patterns changed and I had this like, proclivity towards morningness and just waking up ridiculously early. Like you mentioned, 3.30, 3 o'clock, I'd be wide awake and I would be like so energetic as well. It was bizarre, mm. right? And I'm probably going to have the same thoughts now. Oh, you know, next time I, I jump on stage, uh, leading up to that show, I want to try and improve my sleep patterns, et cetera, et cetera. But I just think through the process of the dieting condition, there is inevitably going to be changes to your, like your, your sleeping pattern, your circadian mm. rhythm, you're, you're naturally so going to have that. Was your that, second that prep the same then? Like you still just woke up at that time? Yeah. And I felt, I found that as I transitioned closer to the show, my wake up times got earlier and earlier. So mm. like I would start it at the start of prep, you know, 25 weeks out, I think it's 28 weeks out, whatever. It's just normal sleeping patterns. You know, maybe 15 weeks out, I was kind of waking up at like five-ish and then pretty much around the five, five sub weeks out, I was probably waking up around three, 3.30. And I'd be pretty, pretty wide awake at that point. And as much as I would try and lay back in bed and go back to sleep, you just, you're up. <laughs> so you may as well get started on your steps or something along those lines. But, you know, I, I don't know what you could do to change that potentially. I mean, mm. from my understanding, you're already supplementing with like melatonin. You probably had good sleep hygiene in place around your bedtime. But um, it's just one of those things. Yeah. Sleeping pattern changes. Sleepy but for gas, me, maybe. even even though that I like wake up earlier, I still have the pretty much the same amount of energy. I don't know if it was the same with you guys. Like I'm pretty much like I'm ready to go once I wake. Even though I do have to get up earlier, like I remember I used to probably go to bed at like eleven, and then eventually that probably worked its way down to nine in prep. And then even though like I'd wake up early, I'd still be like fully recharged, ready to go. About as fully recharged in prep as you can be. You well, know? What like, time did you wake up? Uh, I think I used to wake up at about eight at the start of prep. And then as I got deeper and deeper into it, just got like seven, six, I think by the end of it, it was about 4am. So but that's still yeah. seven hours of sleep. Like that's pretty decent crap. Yeah, I'm talking no. about like, yeah, I mean, hmm. now I think of it like going to like getting to sleep at nine, waking up at three, that's six hours. But I think also like the fact of being awake for like half the day before you even train at nine, like that's six hours, three to nine. I think that's what did it for me personally. See, for me, I would have my, once I woke up in the morning, I would go for my steps, I would come back, I would then cook my meal. And then two hours after I made my breakfast is when I would train. So even though you might be training at 10, now that I've woken up earlier, my training then comes a little bit earlier. So mm. it would be like nine o'clock that I might be then training. So for me, it didn't really alter anything in terms of like training times or any of that. Well, I'll be able to live through Lawrence and see what he does. Guinea pig, guinea pig. Put, put, him, put him on put him on the I'll wheel have a, Get a, i'll have a word with joey 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, Start geez. getting messages at 3 a.m. You boys up? Down on Does anyone want a podcast? Chat, boys chat. Yeah. I'm like, check out this burger. What a great lads. topic for this week, boys. Me just spamming the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the chat with food. Oh, how good. Cool. Well, I think this pretty much uh, rounds up the episode. Uh, this will come out post-nationals. So, uh, yeah, good luck, I guess, in in the future for us, but in the past for you, if you are competing at nationals. And uh, give this uh, episode a five-star rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week for episode 22.